everyone. Welcome again to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont Campus in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that campus, and it's good to talk to you again. Have you ever had the experience of focusing so intently on one thing that you miss something else which should have been obvious to you? Sometimes we're so focused on one thing that we can miss important things that are happening around us or sitting right in front of us. This can happen to us with Jesus as well. Sometimes we focus so hard on one aspect of who Jesus is that we can miss things about Jesus that are vitally important to understand. We're going to talk about all of this today. Justin Joseph does a fantastic job delivering this sermon on John chapter 5, which is a part of our series that we're walking through right now at Mount Hope in the book of John. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you'll listen closely. Because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Why is it that we can sometimes notice things so easily when we're paying attention and looking for something, but while we're paying attention and looking for something, we miss other things that are going on around us at the same time? Why does that happen? Why is it that sometimes you're so fixated and focused, expecting to see something, but when you get there, you start to look and look and you just don't see it? I'll tell you, there's not a week that goes by that maybe my wife or someone will ask me to go get something. Go get something from the pantry. Go get something from the bedroom. Go get something from the kitchen. And I'll walk into that room, and she might say, go grab the salt. And I'll walk into that room, and I will look and look and look for the salt, but never find the salt. And then I'll say, I can't find it. She'll come into the room, and it was right in front of me the entire time. Why does that happen? Why do we sometimes look for something so intently, but never find it, even though we've been looking for that thing? Science has a word for this phenomenon. It's something called inattentional blindness. It's something that's been studied at great length. In fact, the New York Times did a long article about this just a couple of months ago, about this phenomenon known as inattentional blindness. The idea that I could be so expecting something to look a certain way, to be in a certain place, that I could miss it completely. Let me show you a quick photo of a dirty bathroom or a messy bathroom. Quick, someone point out where the toothbrush is. Everyone see the toothbrush? We can highlight it right now, right there, the toothbrush. Does anyone see the other toothbrush? There's another toothbrush in the, in the picture too. The reason why all of us were so quick to point out the, light, the white toothbrush with the green ends, why we were so quick to point that out is because that's what a toothbrush looks like to us. That's what we expected to see. The other toothbrush is 10 times the size of that one, yet we miss it because that's not what we expected to find. This idea of inintentional blindness is one that's been studied at great length. Here's what we find out at the end of all of these studies, that what we pay attention to is largely determined by our expectations of what should be present. Let me say that again. What we pay attention to is largely determined by our expectations of what should be present. A couple of months ago, a team of uh, video production people, they decided to try an experiment. They tried to hang up $1 bills, 100 $1 bills in a tree to see how people would respond when they walked past that tree. They actually hung up $100 $1 bills, and you can go and watch this video at any time. 
They wanted to see what would people do when they found free money on a given day. What would they do? How would they respond to that? And so they set up video cameras that were hidden and watched people walk by throughout the course of the day. And here's the most alarming thing that they found. Most people didn't even see the dollar bills hanging in the tree. It wasn't that they took them or didn't take them. It's just that they didn't see them. They would walk right by them. Sometimes people would look up and actually see the money hanging, but they wouldn't comprehend it and just keep on walking right past the free money that was hanging in the tree. It was another idea of this intentional blindness, this idea that if I see something but I'm not expecting it to be there, I may not realize it's there at all. And this morning, we're going to walk into a passage of Scripture that talks a little bit about inattentional blindness, the inattentional blindness of two different sets of people, but also the inattentional blindness that you and I have every single day to a God who loves us. And so for that reason, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Gospel of John, chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 18. If you'd like to use one of the Bibles in the seats in front of you, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen right behind me as well. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Inattentional blindness, this idea that we can look and look and look and think we see something and it's not there at all, or that we think we found something, but we were looking in the wrong place all along. In John chapter 5, we read about this amazing, amazing testimony of healing, of a gentleman who is lying by a pool for 38 years waiting for this legend to, to take place, this legend of an angel who would come down and stir up the waters by the pool and whoever was placed into the pool or jumped into the pool first would miraculously be healed at that moment of whatever, whatever sickness they were inflicted with at that time. 
It was this great legend that this man had put his life at stake over to say, I will lay by this pool for 38 years and wait for this moment to happen. And a lot of times we hear this story and we, we marvel because Jesus comes up and in one, word, in one phrase tells the man, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And he's miraculously healed in that moment. A man who had been waiting 38 years finds his healing in one sentence from Jesus. And we love to see that. But sometimes when we're looking, we're actually missing what's actually happening in this moment. I want to take you back a couple of chapters to this Gospel of John that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. And if you've been with us, you know that we've been walking step by step through this book and learning chapter by chapter how Jesus is revealing himself as the Son of God to the people of that time. And if you remember, there were these little interactions that were taking place. Interactions like Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. And then there was an interaction that Pastor Brian spoke about a couple of weeks ago where Jesus meets with a Jewish leader named Nicodemus in the middle of the night, and one-on-one, -on -one, Jesus tells him about how he must be born again, this one-on-one -on -one interaction. And that was followed by John chapter 4, where another one-on-one -on -one interaction takes place, where Jesus meets with a woman at a well, and they start to, to, to converse about this idea of her past, her present, and her future, and all of these things collide, and her becoming a follower of Christ. We learn about all of these one-on-one -on -one interactions, and we come to another one-on-one -on -one interaction today with Jesus and a man at a well but I want you to hold your breath for a minute because that's not where this is ultimately leading. This is not a chapter about a healing. Something bigger is about to happen. So hold on for that. But until then, let's talk about this man, this paralytic by the pool, the invalid who is at the pool waiting for his healing. Why is it that he was waiting for someone to put him into that pool to be healed when Jesus was standing right next to him all along? It was his inattentional blindness, it was him not knowing who was standing there talking to him at that moment that made him say, when Jesus says, do you want to be well, his response is, sir, I have no one to carry me into the pool to be made well at this moment, because that man had made assumptions about who God is. He had made assumptions about Jesus, he had made assumptions about his own spirituality, and I ask you this today because many of us struggle with our own spirituality. We struggle with who God is to us. We struggle with this relationship with God because of all of these assumptions that we've made about the world around us. For this man at the pool, healing was going to come when somebody put him into the pool, into the pool and let the angel heal him. But at this moment, Jesus walks up to him and starts to speak with him, and he misses the fact that it is God himself who is speaking to him at that moment. He misses it. He misses the moment because of, who, of his assumptions on who God is and what God would look like. Every day, you and I miss God in our lives because we have certain assumptions about the world around us. We start to make assumptions early about the world around us. Assumptions about this is where victory will come from. This is what victory will look like. This is what success will look like. We start to make assumptions about science. We start to make assumptions that science will fix everything. We make assumptions about politics, that if the right political people get into power, that will fix everything. We make assumptions about the world, and all along we miss that Jesus is in the picture. We miss what's right in front of us because of an inattentional blindness. I ask you this morning, where have you been blind to what God is doing in your life? 
Where are you missing what's right in front of you in some way or another in your life? The paralytic man missed the fact that Jesus was the one talking to him because he was so fixated on someone else carrying him into the pool that he missed the healer that was sitting right there or standing right next to him. He missed God because God was not acting in the way he thought God should act. This interaction leads to another interaction. And I don't want us to lose sight of the fact of what's happening here. Jesus is about to unveil himself to all the people once and for all. Remember, he's had these little interactions with people along the way, but here he's about to enter into the temple and grandly express who he actually is. But before he can get there, he needs to have this interaction with the invalid by the pool. The pool leads to a conversation with the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish faith at the time. And they also had assumptions that they were struggling with. Now, if you look back at the passage we just heard from, we find out that Jesus heals the man on the Sabbath. Heals the man on the Sabbath and doesn't just say, get up and walk. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk, which was a clear violation of the rules of that day. You could not carry your mat on a Sabbath day. So here was Jesus telling a man to violate a rule on purpose so that others would come into the picture and now begin an argument with Jesus about what's important on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus does. He starts this discussion with the Pharisees. But we can't miss that more assumptions were made that kept them from seeing God right in front of them. And I want to touch on some of those assumptions for just a second. Remember, the invalid made assumptions about the world around him, so he was not able to see Jesus. But the Pharisees had made assumptions about God and was not able to see God right next to them. What were some of those assumptions that they had made? They were assuming, they were expecting that God would come as this rule-following religious king that would come to them. Not this, this, this man walking through the wilderness with a bunch of people following him. Not this poor man from Bethlehem. It makes no sense for him to be our king at this time. They had made assumptions about what God would look like, what God would behave like, what God would be, and as a result, they missed the obvious that was right in front of them. And so again, I ask you this morning, where have we made assumptions in our lives about the way God works and in effect put God into a box and forced God to work inside of that box? Where have we said that I like the parts about Jesus being a good teacher? I like the parts where he heals people, but I don't really like these other things that he says. I don't really like the fact that he holds me to this standard. As a result, I'll take this part, but I'll eliminate this part. Where are the areas in our lives where we've made assumptions about God, that God is always loving, that he's always gracious, and that he's always going to just let things go? Or where have we made assumptions that God is always a judge, always vindictive, always angry and wrathful? Where have we made God into this person, into this character that we have created ourselves? For the Pharisees, that was a problem that they faced. They came to Jesus and spoke to him as though he wasn't God because they assumed God would be different when they actually saw him. Do we make God in our own image? Do we try to control who he is and the way we see him? Do we try to keep the parts we want and discard the parts we don't want? Do we try to make God the God of our head, of our mind, the God that fits our agenda? Because this is really important before we lead into what Jesus is about to do. Jesus responds to the entire situation. He heals the invalid. 
He deals with the Pharisees who think he's forcing something on the Sabbath to happen. Now remember, Jesus strategically walks by to the pool, that, that, the pool at Bethesda. He walks there. He chooses a man that had been paralyzed for 38 years, heals him, and tells him to walk carrying his mat. Show everyone that you are violating what they think is the most important rule. Show them that. And when they get angry at you about that, and when they get angry at who let you do that or who made you do that, let them come to me. And Jesus very carefully slips away from the scene. If you notice in these verses, he goes away from the pool and he meets the man again at the temple. And here it is on a festival day, on a day of a feast when thousands would fill the city, when many would be there that day, Jesus stands up in the temple and he responds to the Pharisees and to every question that comes to him in one of the most incredible sermons that I hope you will take some time tonight and go and read where Jesus unveils that he is not just a good teacher, that he is not just somebody who came onto the scene recently, that he is not just some person doing good things, but Jesus says that I am the son of God in this speech. He unveils himself to the people in this incredible moment at the temple, and he uses the invalid, he uses the Pharisees' assumptions, and he leads to this moment where he gets to tell the world, this is who I really am. I want you to look at some of the things that Jesus says, some of the things that he says as he stands in that temple, things that we may take for granted because they sound like simple things. Whoever the father, whatever the father does, the son also does. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. As the father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the son gives life. These seem like things that we've said a million times in church before. Put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jewish person who is walking into the temple, walking into that land at that time, and this is what this man gets up in the temple and says to the world. He is saying, and John records it, that I am equal to God, that I am the Son of God, and as the Son of God, I am equal to the Father, that we together are one, that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, that if you have interacted with me, you have interacted with the Father, Jesus escalates himself to the level of deity as he walks into the temple. And so I ask you this morning, where are the assumptions you have made that have kept you from seeing God in your life? And where have you excluded the teaching of Jesus because you prefer God and you prefer spirituality and you prefer vaguer statements in our lives? If you think about it, and today I was reading a survey that was done that showed one of the fastest growing groups within our country, within our nation right now, is a group of people who recognize that they are spiritual, but they don't necessarily believe in God. Think about this for a second. They're spiritual. They like spiritual things. They like to get in touch with their spirit and their soul. They like that stuff. But they just don't want this other stuff, this God stuff, this Jesus stuff, and they separate the two. And here is Jesus standing in the temple and saying, if you want God, then you've got to have me first. You've got to come through me to get to him. And that's where all of this comes together in this grand message that Jesus delivers at the temple that morning. Jesus is proclaiming that he is God to the people. He is unveiling who he is. And we'll see throughout this chapter, this is the chapter where the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders at the time, they get angry. They want to kill him. They want to persecute him. And it begins a lot right here in this chapter where they hear that he is making himself equal to God. So was Jesus God? 
Is Jesus equal to God, as John says in this chapter? I want you to see some of the things that Jesus claims. I want you to see some of the things that Jesus does, and you answer the question yourself, is he just a good teacher, or is he God? The Old Testament, for example, predicted that the Messiah would claim that he is God. Jesus does that over and over again. Jesus claims that he was in existence long before the people of that time, even before Abraham. Jesus claims that several times. Jesus assumed a divine authority over things like the Sabbath, over the forgiveness of sins, over people's eternal destinies. He said it very plainly several times. Jesus exercises divine authority over demons throughout the New Testament, over disease and death, as you saw in this chapter itself, over the natural world, even things like wind and waves would obey him. He had a power that superseded just a good teacher. Jesus claimed ownership over all the things that belong to God, including the kingdom of God, the angels of God. Jesus claimed the right to receive worship and the ability to answer prayer. Jesus called himself the Son of Man, and if you've heard that phrase before, it comes from the book of Daniel, where it was equivalent to being the, the Lord, being the Messiah. It was a phrase that would be used for Christ, the anointed one. Jesus calls himself the son of God, as you see in this chapter, which would have made him equal to God based on the way that the listener would have heard it at that time. Jesus claims absolute unity with the Father to the point where he says that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus uses phrases where he says, I am, over and over again in a reference to the phrase Yahweh from the Old Testament that was, I am. Jesus claims that he is God. He's not just a good way. He's just not a good teacher. He's not just a nice person that taught nice things. Jesus is God. And as a result, that requires a response from you and I. If you and I simply look at him as a good teacher that taught good things, then we are missing the point of who he really is. It's an inattentional blindness in many of our hearts today where we say, yeah, I like the concept of Jesus. I like the idea of this good teacher that taught good things. But in the end, if that's all we believe he is, then you've missed everything he said about himself. Because he did not claim to just be a good teacher. He did not claim to just be a strong philosopher. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God. And by doing that, he proclaims that I am not just a good teacher. I'm someone for you to follow. I'm someone for you to give up control to follow. I'm someone for you to lay down your life to follow. And it makes a huge difference in what we do. He's more than just a good teacher he is equal to God, and as a result, it requires a response from you and I. I know Pastor Brian shared this before, but I think it's worth repeating here in this place. If you followed along with what C.S. Lewis or many others before him have said about this, that there is a decision that you must make when you hear the phrase that Jesus claims to be God. And that phrase, let's think about this for a second. Jesus claims to be God. There are only two ways we can go here. He either did not make the claim or he did make the claim. You've got to choose one. Did he make this claim or did he not? Now, if you argue he did not make this claim, which I would argue has a lot of holes in that argument based on history, based on manuscripts and texts we have, based on what we know Jesus did and said, if you claim that he did not make this claim, then you are saying he is simply a legend. That's all he is. He's a legend that, that might have or might not have existed. But if you say he did make this claim, then you also have a couple of options available before you. Those options are that it was a false claim or it was a true claim. Now, let's examine the false claim part of it first. 
If it's a false claim, then you've got two options there. The first option was that he knew it was false. In other words, that he was a liar when he proclaimed this. That's a decision that you and I have to make because he's not just a good teacher. A good teacher wouldn't proclaim himself to be God. A good teacher would say nice things and that would be it. He would be a liar. The truth is, and I've looked this up this past week, there have been thousands of people in history who have proclaimed to be God and hundreds of people who have claimed to be the son of God. And not one of them has had the impact on this universe and this world that Jesus has had. So if you believe that he did make this claim and it was false and he knew it was false, then to you, you have to be ready to admit that he was a liar. But if it was false and he did not know it was false, then you've got to admit that he was a lunatic. Those are the only arguments available to you if you're going to claim that he did not make this claim or that he did make this claim, but it was a false claim. But I know there's many of you sitting here right now who have studied this, who have thought this through, and who have examined the options here and have come to the conclusion, just as I have, that Jesus did claim to be God. He made this claim, and it was a true claim because he's not a legend, he's not a liar, he's not a lunatic, he is Lord. And for that reason, I trust him, I believe in him, I follow him, I'm ready to lay down my life for him because what he said is far more powerful than what a good teacher would say. It's far more impactful and it means more to my life because he was willing to give his life for me. He's not a legend because that legend would mean that there was some sort of a body in a grave somewhere in Jerusalem. He's not a liar because the things he claimed were not only true when he said them, they were true thousands of years before he said them. He's not a lunatic because that would require him to mislead dozens and dozens of people who would later mislead millions and billions of people throughout history who have tested and tried what he has said. That's why I'm left with one last option, that he is Lord. And if he is Lord, it requires a response from you and I. What is that response that you will have today? I ask you again this question. What are you missing that's right in front of you? What assumptions have you made in your life that, have, that are keeping you from a relationship with this God? For some of us who have been believers for a long time, believe me, this can stand in the way in our lives as well, where you might say that, look, I'm a Christian, I believe this stuff, I follow this stuff, but our assumptions still get in the way of knowing Christ and seeing him work in our lives because we assume he can only work a certain way. He can only do miracles or he can only not do miracles or he can only work through this way or this person and he can't do it this other way but for those of us who have not yet put our trust in Jesus or called him Lord personally I ask you today what assumptions have you made that prevent you from seeing him as Lord he did not proclaim himself as a good teacher he proclaimed himself as the son of God that's very different and if that's the case then that requires a response from you, what would the response be from you? A couple of years ago, there was a story that went very viral throughout media and throughout a lot of news stations as well. It was a story of a young man named Steve Flagg. Steve was an 18-year-old living in Grand Rapids, Michigan, who had just graduated high school and realized that uh, I need to figure out more about my past. You see, Steve was adopted, and so he spoke with his adopted parents, and he asked them, can you help me find my birth mother. And so his, his adopted parents were so happy and absolutely said, we'd be happy to help you in any way we can. 
And so they found the records, the adoption records, and it was a woman named Christine Talladay who had given him up for adoption at birth. And so Steve began a quest at the age of 18 to find his mother. And to finance that quest, to finance his quest, he took a job at a Lowe's, a Lowe's hardware store in his town of Grand Rapids, Michigan. He became a delivery truck driver in that store. And so he would save up his money and he would try to search for his birth mother. He would do internet searches for her. He'd ask his friends, his family members to search for a woman named Christine Talladay. Now at this time, as he's searching and finding no luck, he eventually finds out and figures out that, wait a second, on the adoption record, her name is actually not Christine Talladay, it was Christine Talladay. He had misspelled it by one letter and he was unable to find her for three years while he'd searched for his mom, simply because of one letter that was mistaken. When he found this news, he went to his boss at the Lowe's store and he said to him, hey, I think I finally figured out I can find my mom. I had mistaken her name all along. Her name is actually Christine Talladay. To which his boss responds, you mean Chris, the head cashier at our store here? Steve had been working for three years at the Lowe's as a delivery truck driver, not realizing a couple of months earlier, his mom had been hired in that same store. And they had worked together for about nine months, passed each other almost every day and said hello to each other. She went by the name Chris, so he didn't really pick up on it. Here's a photo of Chris and Steve together. They were both working inches apart from each other every day, not realizing she was his mother and he was her son. Now, I ask you this question this morning. What if Steve found out that information and did nothing about it? If you were a friend of Steve's, would you just shake him and say, Steve, your mom is right there. Go talk to her. Would you say, Steve, here's your chance. You've been searching all these years. And if Steve kept coming to you and saying, look, I'm, I just don't want to talk to her. Now at least I know where she is. I don't want to talk to her. You would still say, Steve, here's your chance. If you know something, the question is, what will you do with what you know? Are you missing what's right in front of you all along? The question to you all today, the question to me today, if Jesus is who he claimed to be, if he is God, and that requires a response from each of us. What will you do with that information? What will you do with that knowledge? Because there is only two options here. There are only two options. The first option is that we just reject him. We say he's a legend, he's a lunatic, he's a liar, and we reject him. The other option is to claim that he is Lord and fully surrender our lives to that. Completely surrender our lives to that. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward as we close out our service this morning. In each of our lives today, there is an opportunity to ask the question, what am I doing with the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God? What am I doing with the fact that he requires more than just the label of a good teacher, that he requires more than just being called someone who is nice or someone who said good things? He requires surrender in our lives. And if you're here this morning and this is something that's eluded you for a long time, if you are thinking, wow, I've heard this before, I just don't know what to do next. All Jesus says is to put your trust in him, to put your faith in him. If you believe that he is the son of God, then all it requires from you is for you to take a step of faith and put your trust in him. If you're comfortable with it, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads at this time. 
If there is this choice that you have not yet made where you've heard about Jesus, you've heard that he did good things, that he lived an amazing life, that he performed miracles, that he died and he rose again, if you've heard these things and never responded to those things, there is an opportunity, there's an invitation for you this morning to respond to that specific invitation. If you would like to make a decision this morning to follow Jesus with your life, to say, Lord, I am not, I know that you are not just a legend or not just a lunatic or a liar. I know that you, sit, you did the things you did and you said the things you said. And as a result, I want to give you my heart. If that's you this morning, when every head is bowed and every eye is closed, please don't hesitate to raise your hand. We'd love to pray for you this morning. God bless you. And if you have already made that decision this morning and you've said, yeah, I do accept you as Lord, but there are areas of your life where you have removed Jesus as the Lord of your life, where you have said, you know what? My assumptions about the world are more important. My assumptions about God are more important. And so I've put Jesus into a box and I've kept him on this nice, fancy little box on my mantle that I don't have to disturb. If there are parts of your life where you've removed Jesus, and tried to do it your way. Maybe you're waiting for an angel to stir a pool to get your healing. Maybe you are waiting for Jesus to look and act and be a certain way before you put your trust in him further. This morning, there's an opportunity for us to come back to him and say, Lord, I want you to be the Lord of all of my life. Because there are only two options. We either reject him outright or we surrender outright. Lord, we come before you this morning. And we give you thanks, we give you honor and praise, Lord. Because in your words, in your actions, in the day at the temple, in that day right after, the right after this invalid was healed, you stood up and you didn't just proclaim yourself a good teacher, you proclaimed yourself God. And that means something to us, Lord. That means that you are worthy of praise, you are worthy of adoration and honor. It also means that you are so loving and kind that you would forgive us, that you would give your life to die for us and rise again and prove again and again that you are God and for that we thank you. Father, forgive us for the places in our lives that we miss that you are working, the places where you are right there and you are at work in our lives and we ignore it and we simply don't recognize it. Help us, God, to recognize you not just as a good teacher but as Lord of our lives this morning. God, I lift up every person who raised their hands who wants to have a closer relationship with you. I lift up all of my friends who have raised their hands to say, God, I know that there are parts of my life where I've removed you, where I've put you to the back burner. I've said, God, I need you in certain areas, but not in all areas. Help us, God, not to miss the obvious, not to miss that you are right there beside us, that you are not a legend. You are not a liar. You are not a lunatic. You are Lord, and for that we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 10 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at 
mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.